Please open your Bible to Matthew 8. Matthew 8. This morning we continue our series through this wonderful gospel penned by Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. Every, uh, every year, for the past several years, uh, Christine and I and our kids have uh, vacationed in the Outer Banks at the end of August. And there's something that happens to me about August 15th every year. And that is I start to pay attention to the weather like over South America in the northeast part of South America and through the Caribbean. And I start to uh, wonder, um, might there be any hurricanes that are headed towards the Outer Banks while we are going to be there? Uh, the rest of the year, I really don't care about what the weather is doing in the Caribbean. But in August, I always do. And it's, it's August to October or so is hurricane season. And it's, there's this, this realization when I, when I book this vacation every year, and that's that storms could come. Uh, and I can see them coming oftentimes, and I'm, I just kind of wonder how they're going to develop and, and how significant the effect is going to be. This past August, just a few weeks ago, there was a storm that, that was off the coast of the Atlantic, and, it, I mean, it was a, a total non-issue. But it's always one of those things. You're wondering, all right, I know there are storms out there, and... They might affect us in significant ways. Now, the same is true for our lives. Whether or not you are experiencing a storm now, the reality is storms are coming. Uh, there are storms out there. There are storms that are uh, like, like hurricanes. Uh, I have friends in New Orleans, and the storms that Ida, Hurricane Ida that rolled through there, that affected my friends. And I, and I feel that. Storms approach us in sometimes expected ways, other times unexpected ways. But whether or not you care to acknowledge this fact, there are going to be storms in your life. Uh, you may be in them now, uh, but what we need to know is that they are coming. If you're not in one now, you're going to be in one soon. What do we do with that? Well, I think we can find wisdom in Matthew's gospel in the passage we're going to be looking at to get today together. Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. Would you look at the book with me? This is, this is God's word to us. There's nothing better that I'm going to say than what I'm about to read, because this is God addressing us. So may we have ears to hear what he has for us. Hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 8, verse 23. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Lord, we come to you with one probing question in our minds and on our lips. We ask with the disciples, what sort of man is this? Would you open our eyes by your spirit that we may behold your glory in this man, the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Be our help. Be our guide this morning. Amen. Amen. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take, take some time to enter into this story, to really hop in the time machine and go back in time 
and see what's taking place here in Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. And my hope is that we're going to get away some from the familiarity we might feel with this story and notice some of the remarkable and surprising details along the way. As we do so, we're going to consider three truths to apply to our lives today. But first, let's, let's set the scene a little bit. Now, Jesus has spent time prior to this in Capernaum, the town on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, where Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're all from. This is their hometown. And while there, Matthew records for us a few miracles that Jesus has just performed. And so we, we heard about uh, Jesus healing the centurion's servant without even being present, with just a word. He heals the servant. We see Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. And then in verse 16 of chapter 8, Matthew writes that that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. It's been a busy few days for Jesus. And the reality is he's, he's likely exhausted. So he gives orders to his disciples to move on from Capernaum to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so we see this in verse 18, which, which John referenced last week. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And that's when we have this interaction that, that we looked at last week between the scribe and Jesus and the disciple and Jesus. And after that interaction, we come to verse 23. And this brings us to our first point. Number one, Jesus leads us into the storm. Jesus leads us into the storm. And we see this in verses 23 and 24. Verse 23 says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, we're not exactly sure who got into this boat. We don't get a a cast of characters or even whose boat it was. We don't know who owns the boat, but it's likely that this is a boat that, that Peter or Andrew or perhaps James and John, that they were familiar with. They'd all grown up in these waters. They made their living on these waters. They knew how to read the clouds and, and the wind to detect good weather and bad, good fishing conditions and bad fishing conditions, good traveling conditions, bad traveling conditions, when to stay off of the sea. They followed Jesus into this boat. Now, the boats that they used on the Sea of Galilee at this time, they were somewhere around 25 feet long, which, I mean, maybe a little bit longer than this platform that I'm standing on, and about seven feet wide, and they were about four and a half feet tall. So kind of small, flat boats that they were on. Not, they weren't huge, but they were big enough to hold about 10 to 12 men. Now, this same story is also recorded by Mark and Luke. And it can be interesting and enlightening to compare the different stories and the different details they each conclude in their stories. Now, sometimes you'll hear people argue that, that if the stories are different then the Bible must not be trustworthy. These Gospels aren't trustworthy. But this argument is simply wrong because it fails to understand what kind of history the Gospels are. The Gospels are not, are not history book history, like we would understand it today. They're not this collection of objective facts. They're not biographies trying to objectively summarize the life and ministry of Jesus. The Gospel are works of, of let's call it, theological history meaning that the purpose of the writers is to teach certain things about God to their readers. So they they take actual things that happened in Jesus' life, and they structure them in certain ways according to their priorities. They highlight specific details according to what they want to communicate about who God is, what God wants to communicate about who he is. And so here, while Luke in his story just says, 
Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. And Mark says that the disciples took Jesus with them in the boat. Look what Matthew says. On the heels of speaking about the cost of following Jesus, he says that Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. In these few words, Matthew wants us to notice something. He wants to make this this small connection with what has come just before. The order of these events, it's not accidental. It's not just happenstance. And his point is this. Following Jesus will take you to some unexpected places. And here, as we're about to see, Jesus' disciples are going to find themselves in an unexpected situation. It's going to cost something. Uh, Last week, uh, John... Uh, spoke to us from this preceding passage, and he started by talking about uh, this guy who went along the Appalachian Trail, wrote about it. And one of the things that he said as he, at the conclusion of this, is, is if I had known, if I had any idea of how hard that would have been, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. Wouldn't have embarked on, embarked on the journey. And the same can be true for us as we follow Jesus. It's going to take us to unexpected places. So look what happens in verse 24. They followed Jesus into the boat, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. A huge storm just seems to come out of nowhere. And Matthew writes how the boat was being, being swamped by the waves, meaning that the waves, they were, they were coming up higher and higher around the boat, higher than the boat, breaking over the boat, submerging the boat. Like how John Calvin states it, he says, This was no casual storm which disturbed the lake. It was no casual storm, unlike all those other casual storms that disturbed the lake. This was no casual storm. Remember how familiar Peter and Andrew and James and John would have been with these boats and this sea. They probably spent just as much time in these boats throughout their life than they did on on land. Now, there's no way they would have set out if they had any inclination that a storm of this kind, not a casual storm, was going to come up. But here they find themselves in a storm where the waves tower over them. Consider how helpless and terrified they must feel in that moment. The water rises and falls in this chaotic swirl. Now this boat, it's made out of wood. It's, it's creaking and there's, there's nothing they can do. The oars are good for nothing. All they can do is just hang on for dear life. But don't forget, it was Jesus who led them into this storm. He's the one who said, let us go across the other side. He is the one who initiated all of this. Following Jesus, as John mentioned last week, following Jesus is costly. And it will take us to places we don't expect, and it will come before things we hold dear. And perhaps you feel this way this morning. Following Jesus has led you into a storm that you could have never imagined. It's brought you into trials that you you can't fathom overcoming. The truth we need to recognize is this. Jesus leads us into the storm. This is a hard truth, and it can seem harsh, but it's an important truth because it's part of his, his sovereign prerogative. It's a part of his decrees, his control over all things that brings us into every circumstance that we face. Like how the Wester, Westminster Shorter Catechism speaks of the decrees of God. It says that the, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose based on the purpose of his will, by which, for his own glory, he has foreordained everything that happens. 
So whatever storm you find yourself in, whether you're in it now or you're going to be in it soon, Jesus is the one that leads you into it. That's the, that's the first truth we see here, but that's not the only truth we see here. Second, second truth, Jesus goes with us in the storm. So Jesus leads us into the storm. Jesus goes with us in the storm. We see this in verses 24 through 26. Jesus led the disciples into this situation, but he was also with them in this situation. And he's a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. And, and we should take great comfort in this truth. You know, I didn't really plan it this way, but, but several of the songs that we sang this morning, all of the songs we sang this morning spoke to, and maybe I shouldn't have told you that I didn't plan it this way, <laughs> spoke to the fact that God doesn't leave us nor forsake us. Um, I mean, and even speak of the waters that come, the troubling waters, the hell firm foundation. When through the deep waters, I call you to go. Hear God's sovereign prerogative. He's the one leading us into the storms. The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Deuteronomy 31.6 says it this way, It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah testifies that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Do you remember what, what he prophesies they shall call this boy? They shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And indeed, in the coming of Jesus, God is with us. God goes with us in every circumstances, even into the storm. Now, the passage I just quoted from Deuteronomy 31, uh, the passage that How Firm Foundation is based on, Isaiah 45, these disciples that are in this boat, they know these passages. They know these words. And here Jesus is with them, God with us, going with them in the storm. But look again at verse 24. And, and here, Matthew records for us one of the most remarkable and surprising facts of this whole episode. So verse 24, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Are you kidding me? He was asleep? Perhaps you sometimes feel this way in the midst of the storms that you face. Maybe the storm that you're in right now. Maybe Jesus is sleeping. And you think, I mean, I don't see him. I don't feel his presence. He isn't answering me when I call. Perhaps he's sleeping. And here the disciples are in this great storm. And Jesus, their teacher, he's asleep. And keep in mind that this was not a cruise liner that he was on, not a, an 80-foot yacht, not even a sailboat where Jesus is tucked into the cabin down below. No, Jesus was in, in the stern, on the back of this boat, on a cushion, Mark says, asleep. Think about that. Imagine, imagine for a moment just a rough day at the beach. So the red flags are out. They're saying no swimming because, I mean, waves are just, they're just coming and coming fast and furious. And you and a friend decide, well, we're going to blow up an inflatable boat and we're going to go out there. So you, you blow it up. You fight your way out into the ocean. You go 20 or 30 yards out. You hop into the boat. And then your friend goes to sleep. 
Meanwhile, the waves, they're towering over you. You're rising up with some waves, dropping six feet on the other side. Other waves are crashing over you. You're soaking wet. It's pouring rain. The wind is howling. You're more and more terrified every second. And then you look back and you see your friend and he's still sleeping. And there Jesus was, in the midst of a massive and surprising storm, sleeping in the back of the boat. Now let's, let's pause for a moment and ask one simple question. How could Jesus be asleep? Now the obvious answer from a human standpoint is that, that Jesus was exhausted. And we at times can forget that Jesus was every bit a man and not a superhero. That meant that he would get tired and he needed to sleep. He's done a lot of work over the past few days. He's been around a lot of people. He's tired. And so he's sleep. He's sleeping, and he's sleeping deeply. But there's another way to answer this question. How could Jesus sleep in this storm? And that is that he knew who had the power over the storm. Jesus, as a Jew, and like several of his disciples, he knew well how the Old Testament spoke of God's power over the sea. He knew well the story of the people of Israel as they stood with the Egyptian army hot on their tails and the Red Sea before them, and how God rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he saved them from their enemies. Jesus knew the question that God asked Job in Job 38, 8-11. He says, Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. He knew that God is the one who said these things. He was familiar with the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Because Jesus knew who had power over the seas, he slept. In his exhaustion and in his humanity, he knew that even while he slept, God was still on the watch as the one who has power over the sea. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for you. In whatever storm you face, whatever storm you encounter, God is still on the watch as the one who rules the raging sea. He is the one that goes with you in the storm. It may seem like he is sleeping to you at this moment, but that does not matter because he is still ruling and raining. Now, while Jesus is fast asleep, the disciples, they are not sleeping. They are not experiencing the, the gift of sleep that God gives to those he loves. Oh, no. Oh, no. They have tried everything, and they are at their wit's end. What else can they do? These experienced fishermen, they know, they know every trick in the book. This isn't the only storm they've ever been caught in, but they're getting more and more desperate as the storm gets bigger and bigger, and they're all thinking the same thing. You know what they're thinking? We're going to die! That's what they're thinking. So they turn to Jesus with anguish and terror in their minds and in their hearts and in their eyes. The one who goes with them in the storm, they turn to him and look at verse 25. And they went and woke him saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Their cry, it's this desperate cry for help. They wake Jesus up and they're crying out, we're drowning, the boat is going down, save us. Now again, think about it. These men, 
who have spent so much time of their lives on the sea. They're so desperate. They're so terrified that they turn to the carpenter for help. And not just a carpenter, but a carpenter from, from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was not a seaside town like Capernaum was. Nazareth was up in the hills, a long day's walk from water. But they turn to this carpenter. They turn to Jesus and they cry out to him for help because they know that he is not just a carpenter. There's something different about this man as they've walked with him, as they've seen what he can do. All all they've seen has impressed upon them that he is the one they should turn to in their time of need. Maybe, maybe he can do something. I'm reminded of the story of Jonah, which bears a lot of similarity to this story, especially in how Matthew tells it. In Jonah 1, we read, Jonah, Jonah, we think of him as this coward, but Matthew actually compares him to Jesus at, at one point. Jonah, he's fleeing from what God has called him to do, and he flees on a boat. And in Jonah 1, verse 4, it talks about how, how God caused a storm to rise up. And it talks about how the men were terrified. And it talks about how Jonah, do you know where he was? He was asleep in the boat. And it talks about how the men went and the captain actually came and went and woke up Jonah saying, pray to your God, for we are perishing. And Jonah, hey, he responds by saying, throw me in. And the men say, no, 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 we don't want to throw him in. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. We'll say, we We'll save the rest of that story. But that's where we're at right now in our story in Matthew. All the same things have happened. So they wake Jesus up, the disciples. They wake Jesus up with this desperate plea, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus responds in verse 26. And this is just another remarkable and surprising twist to the story. Matthew writes this, he says, And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now imagine this moment again. The boat is rocking to and fro. Waves are crashing upon them. The disciples are yelling to one another, trying everything they can think of. So Peter yells to Andrew, Wake up, Jesus! So Andrew scrambles to the back of the boat. He gets back there, and anxiously he shakes Jesus awake. And as Jesus, I mean, he's soaking wet, coming out of his slumber, all the disciples are crying out, We're going to die! Save us! Save us! We're perishing! And Jesus lifts up his head from the cushion. And in the midst of the madness and the chaos, and before he does anything about the storm, notice this order of events that Matthew gives us. Jesus wakes up to do something about his disciples. You see, Jesus has so much control over this situation. He's so confident in who he is that he will take the time to rebuke his disciples before he rebukes the storm. And consider what Jesus rebukes, what he corrects. He starts by asking them why they are afraid. But what he corrects is their small faith. Oh, you of little faith. Their biggest problem is not that they are afraid, but that they don't recognize who is in the boat with them. I recently read, read somebody say that, that biblical faith, godly faith, doesn't call us to deny reality as if there's nothing to fear that we face. But it calls us to view reality in light of the one who goes with us in our circumstances. The one who has power over our circumstances. So Jesus corrects their their lack of faith. 
This, this phrase, little faith, isn't speaking to the size of their faith so much as the content of their faith, the substance of their faith, what they actually believed. believed. Because you see, the, the disciples, they, they had some faith. That's why they followed Jesus into the boat. If they didn't have faith, they wouldn't have followed him into the boat. That's why they're turning to him, a carpenter by trade, for help. That's why they're pleading with him to save them. They have some faith. But their faith is a, it's a defective and deficient faith. Their faith is it's too weak. In their minds, Jesus is great. That's why they're waking him up. Jesus is great indeed, but they fail to recognize that he is far greater than they can imagine. So they know him to be great, but he is far greater than they can imagine. If they only knew who was in the boat with them, then they would have no reason to be afraid. You see, knowing who Jesus is and having the faith to believe that he is who he says he is, is the most important thing in every circumstance. Knowing who Jesus is, is the most important thing in every circumstance, in every situation. And you know, that's one thing that we seek to reflect every week as we gather together. We all have lots of things going on in our lives, lots of significant things going on in our lives, lots of significant things going on in the world. And we could spend the majority of our time talking about these things that are going on in the world. But the most important thing that we can do is, is what I like to say, be reoriented to what's really real. All these other things, they, they want to define our reality, but they're not reality-defining like God is reality-defining. He is the reality-definer. There's nothing more real than he, who he is. So we want to gather together and, and remind one another and be reminded of who he is. Because just like the disciples, we're prone to forget he indeed is God with us. Even in the storm, in the chaos, in the confusion, in your fear, God is with you. Now here the disciples are, terrified and desperate. But Jesus is so much greater than their fears. Jesus is sufficient for their every need, and so we see his power put on display. So we saw first how Jesus leads us into the storm. Second, how Jesus goes with us in the storm. And third, Jesus delivers us out of the storm. Matthew writes in verse 26, after rebuking the disciples, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. So great is his power that the storm simply stopped. Matthew doesn't write that it gradually died down, that the wind slowly stopped blowing, that the clouds began to break. Only that Jesus spoke to the wind and the sea and then there was great calm. Mark and Luke actually record for us what Jesus said. Matthew doesn't even bother with that. He just says he, he rebuked him, and it stopped. The prophet Nahum says it this way, Nahum 1, 3, and 4, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. He is the one who has the power to rebuke the sea. He speaks and it happens. He rebukes the wind and the waves and they listen. Have you ever tried this? I remember going to the beach as a, as a, as a uh, I was probably 10, 9, and uh, trying this. I mean, like thinking about what Jesus did and standing in front of the waves and just saying, stop. Nothing happened. I mean, the waves kept coming. That kept happening. But my words had no power. Throughout human history, the sea was re has represented this, this unstoppable power, this uncontrollable chaos. Who can tame the sea? No one. 
but there is no one like our God. Indeed, Psalm, Psalm 29 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was great calm. He delivered the disciples out of the storm. See the response of the disciples in verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The men on the boat, they're amazed. They're taken aback. Just go back to Jonah for a second. Jonah's thrown into the sea. Do you know what happens? The storm stops. And do you know what, how the men respond? They're amazed. They're terrified. They're so amazed. Luke describes, as he recounts the story, how, how the men were afraid. And Mark, how they were filled with great fear at the power of this man. And the men marvel. What sort of man is this? Now notice, too, how Matthew describes the disciples in verse 27. He doesn't say that the disciples marveled, which we would expect. Instead, he says that the men marveled. It's as if Matthew wants to make his point as painfully obvious as possible. These men are nothing like this man. This man, the one who has just said that he has no place to lay his head. The one who sleeps on a boat in a storm and wakes up to bring immediate calm to the waters with just a word. Who is this man? What sort of man is this? It is God himself. And the disciples did not realize it in the moment, but they were living out these stories that they'd grown up with and, and told again and again and heard again and again. We talked about Jonah, but also consider Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a psalm that, again, the disciples, they would have known well. They would have grown up reciting this psalm. It testifies to the steadfast love of the Lord who redeems his people from every situation and every trial. And listen, listen, I'm going to read Psalm 107, 23 to 32. And hear if you can detect any similarities. Kids, I need you to play detective for a second and see, like, are there, is there anything that's the same in this picture and this picture? The psalmist writes this. He says, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This God that the psalmist is praising in Psalm 107, this is the God who went with them on the boat, who led them into the storm, who went with them in the storm, who delivered them out of the storm. So how do we respond to all of this? What do we, what do we take away from it? I think we would do well to, to remember Jesus' rebuke in the midst of the storm. He, he tells them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And what we see in this, this little faith 
is that that little faith, small faith, deficient faith, leads to forgetfulness. Deficient faith forgets who is in the boat with us. What faith does, faith, faith is not our hope. We're not a people who gather together and say, keep the faith, brother. You're going through some trial, just keep the faith. Faith doesn't do anything for us. What faith does is fixes our eyes, fixes our gaze, fixes our hope on the one who does deliver. I once heard faith described this way. I shared this a few years ago. If you were to walk out onto a, a frozen pond, and it was Kevin DeYoung that shared this. So when he's thinking of frozen pond, he was in Michigan for a long, long time. So he's thinking of like a frozen pond that you can walk on, not like our frozen ponds. What would keep you from sinking in the water? Certainly it took faith for you to take that step out on the ice. You had to have some, some measure of faith. But that faith isn't in any way what keeps you from sinking. That faith does nothing for you. That faith puts you out on the ice, but that faith does nothing to keep you safe, to keep you dry. Faith only enabled you to take the step. What keeps you safe and dry are the 12 inches of ice that you stand on. So as Christians, our faith is not in faith. Like, just have more faith. It's in Christ. Faith is that instrument by which we grab on to Christ. So faith doesn't save us. Faith doesn't deliver us. Faith clings to the Christ who saves. Like how John Calvin, he, he defined faith this way. He said, faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us. A firm and certain knowledge of God's goodness to us. Founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Faith looks to God's promises. It simply accepts and receives and believes Christ. And brothers and sisters, the thing that we find as we, as we walk by faith and not by sight, as we remember who Jesus is and, and remind one another and are reminded of who goes with us in the storm, what we find is that as we take that step in our faith, we're not stepping on ice, we're stepping on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just great. He is far greater than you think he is. He is far greater than you think he is. If you think he is great, he's far greater, far greater. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. There is no one like him. So may we, as we look to him, may we remember who he is. And as he leads us into the storms, may we remember who he is. May we trust his benevolent hand. May we lean on him, hope in him. When through the deep waters he calls you to go, the rivers of sorrow will not overflow you. For he will be with you, your troubles to bless. And, and he will use them for your good. He will sanctify to you your deepest distress. I want to close with this quote from D.A. Carson. He says this, Jesus is always better than our fears. Moreover, our faith will be most stable if we center it on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not so much what Jesus will do or what promises he may have made that are applicable to this or that situation. What faith needs to know is who Jesus is. And Jesus is always far more wonderful than we had anticipated. So brothers and sisters, as you're in, in a storm, as a storm is approaching, your most urgent need is not, how do I get out of the storm? 
Your ur- most urgent need is, is why did this happen? Why did this happen? Your most urgent need is to know who Jesus is. And you will find that he is far more wonderful than you could have imagined or anticipated. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you for the revelation of yourself in Jesus Christ. Thank you that in, in him we have this sure hope, this solid foundation. Thank you that you go, you lead us into the storm, you go with us in the storm, and you have the power to deliver us from the storm. And thank you that in light of what you have done in Jesus Christ, we have a hope that transcends our circumstances. We have a hope that, that lasts into eternity. And so it's in you we hope, in you we trust, and to you we look. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.